Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Asatoma Sadagamaya Tamasohomaham Johotir Gamaya Mrityohormam Amritam Gamaya Avir Havir Maedhi Rudra Yate Dakshinam Mukaha Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Reach us through and through ourselves, and evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. So my subject this morning is letting go. We can begin with a parable from Sri Ramakrishna. It's a, um, well, it comes to us from the Uddhava Gita. And in the Uddhava Gita, there is a sadhu. He is the Avadhuta. The Avadhuta had 24 gurus. You know, you're only supposed to have one guru, right? But uh, you have upa-gurus. Those are other mentors in your life. And the Avadhuta, he had 24 such gurus from which he learned something in the course of his journey in his life. And one of those upa-gurus was a seagull. And the Avadhuta observed that uh, some fishermen had caught a pile of fish, and they were sorting through those fish when a seagull swooped down out of nowhere and grabbed one of those fish in his beak and uh, stole the fish, flew up into the air, and disappeared. And the fisherman lost sight of the seagull, but there was a flock of crows nearby, and they saw the whole thing. And the crows took off in pursuit of that gull. And the poor seagull now, seeing himself being pursued by all these calling, crying crows all around him, he flew faster and faster. He couldn't escape them. He flew to the left. He flew to the right. He flew up. Some crows came right by him. They pecked at his wings. They pecked at his legs. And uh, the poor seagull couldn't escape till finally he realized it was all about that fish. Then he opened his mouth, he dropped the fish, and sure enough, all of those crows left him completely behind and went after that fish, which had fallen to the ground. And the seagull was so relieved that he was escaped from these birds. He was exhausted, he tired, he perched there on a limb of a tree, and he thought to himself, all this trouble was due to that wretched fish. 
I'm glad that I let it go. And I'm glad that I got rid of it. And now I can be at peace. So it's all about a detachment. Attachment and detachment. That's our subject this morning. And this is the lesson that the Avadhuta learnt from the seagull. To let go of attachments. That attachment brings suffering. And uh, let's look a little bit at this word, attachment. The etymology of the word attachment, which we're going to read a lot about in the Yoga Sutras and in the, our study of Karma Yoga, comes from the prefix ad plus the base word, the root tack. Now, we know what a tack is. We can understand that if you want to put something up on a wall, maybe you'll go and find a tack. And you'll take your poster and you'll put the tack in to the poster and into the bulletin board. And um, that will affix the, the, the poster to the, to the board. And uh, you're making a connection. It's important for us like that to make connections. And when the poster has done its service, it's not necessary anymore. We just remove the tack and um, take down the poster. And similarly, it is maybe if you go out to walk your dog, you take your leash, you attach your leash to the dog uh, collar on the dog, you go and walk your dog, and then when you come home, you detach your leash, or maybe when you get in your automobile, you um, attach your seatbelt, and then when you get to your destination, you detach your seatbelt. Well, that's the idea of attachment and detachment. The problem is that sometimes in life, uh, we lose the power of detachment. And it may be that if you put a poster up on the wall and some time comes, now you want to take it down, but you can't remove that tack. The dates are all wrong. Everything shows all misinformation. You've got to take it down, but you, you can't remove the tack. Or maybe you've come after you're walking your dog you're out walking your dog, and your leash is attached to the dog collar. Maybe the dog runs off. You're, you're, you're dragged this way and that way. Why? Because you're still attached. It's very difficult. It's impossible at that time to detach yourself. Or God forbid, if you're in your car, your seatbelt is so firmly attached there, you can't unbuckle it. The car catches fire. Some of you may be killed. You don't want to lose the power of detachment. Attachment and detachment. That's our subject. It's a kind of the comes out of the framework of uh, karma yoga. But it's really about living our lives effectively. And uh, attachment is a problem. Attachment was a problem even for the great Lord Vishnu, the preserver of this world. And on one occasion, uh, there was a demon, the great demon Hiranyaksha. He uh, kidnapped the Mother Earth, Pretty V, and he took her down into the depths of the ocean of the world. And this was a great crisis came in the three worlds. This was a crisis. 
And the Lord Vishnu incarnated at that time as a boar, that is, as a wild pig. And um, if you read the different ten incarnations of Vishnu, kind of parallels the whole evolution of life on the earth. But that was a time when the the animals and the boar, the boars, well, he went down in, into the ocean, and with his great long curved tusks, he rescued the earth's mother and brought her up, carrying her in a, on his tusks up out of the ocean and uh, saved her in this way. After he had brought her back to the earth, he looked around and he saw that the earth was a beautiful place. And the sun was shining, the birds were singing, and he began to walk around and he saw the trees and the flowers. And he met other boar there in the forest, and uh, he fell in love. And he got married, and he had a lot of little, his family there. And uh, the gods in heaven, now time had passed, the gods in heaven were looking down, where is God? <laughs> where is, where does happen to Vishnu? He's become so attached, he's completely forgotten his true nature. He's living happily on the earth in that boar body. And uh, they came down, the gods came down and pleaded with the boar incarnation, the, the, the Varaha incarnation. They pleaded with him, prayed to him, but the, the boar incarnation, he just looked at them, what are you doing? He said, I'm perfectly happy here. Finally, it's a crisis. And the Lord, Lord Shiva had to descend into the earthly realm. And with his mighty trident, he struck the boar and killed the boar. And out of that dead boar body, the great Lord Vishnu emerged laughing. And he looked there. He said, what am I doing here? Why am I here? <laughs> Returned to the heavenly world. So Vishnu, he became attached to this world. And he suffered. He had to be rescued from his attachment. Sometimes it happens that we too forget our true nature, that we lose sight of the reality of ourself, that we become identified with the material things, with the body, with the mind, and with our lower selves, they become part of our self-system. We're no longer the Atman, the detached witness, but we're identified with people, with places, with things. We become identified with our flesh and blood body, and we end up attached and identified with the world, as a result of which we are subject to birth and death and the great wheel of transmigration. And this is the problem. Attachment leads to suffering and to life and to death. And so that's why it'd be good for us to look at this problem. Attachment and detachment. We become attached to people well, we became attached to people, places, material things, our own body, our own mind. Maybe perhaps most obviously, 
we are attached to people. Of course, in American English, the word attachment has mostly positive connotations. And when we think of a person being attached, we think of a man who is attached to his wife and children. What we mean by that is he loves his wife and children. And if we say one, uh, a person is attached to his friend, what we usually mean is, is that he, uh, he cares about his friend. And he likes his friend. And in this sense, in common usage, attachment is very good. Attachment is something which is, in fact, it's something which is a prerequisite that the, the capacity for us to bond with others and to become interested in others, interest, that means to put ourselves into others and to connect with other people, this is a very fundamental natural power of the person. And in all different forms of yoga, it assumes that we have that power before we're even interested in higher spiritual practice. And in all forms of yoga sadhana, it assumes that we have the power to connect with and to bond with others. But yoga psychology uses this word attachment with more negative connotations. That is now we've kind of modulated up to a, a higher practice. And the yogis often draw a distinction between healthy bonding and bondage. And um, bonding is all about connecting with other people. And as a result of which, we become larger. We extend ourselves. We expand ourselves. But bondage is all about limitation. It's about loss of boundaries. It's about confusion of who we are. And about, it's about dependency. And it's progressive. And it can become worse and worse. And it can become all about uh, unhealthy, dysfunctional entanglement and enmeshment. And uh, this is the progression of becoming more and more bound, losing our self-sense. And sometimes may we find ourselves in such a situation where we need to let go. I heard a therapist once who um, used this analogy. He said, imagine yourself in a tug of war with a monster. And uh, the monster is holding one end of the rope, and you are holding the other end of the rope. And between you is a great chasm, a pit. And the harder that you pull on that rope, the harder the monster on the other side of that pit, the harder he pulls. And at some point, you realize that you're slipping on the ground. <laughs> you're, being, you're kind of being dragged by it's closer and closer to the pit. And uh, what can you do? I mean, the harder you pull, the harder he pulls. You're sliding and slipping. And the only thing that you can do at that time, the thing that you need to do at that time, is to let go of the rope. And the monster's still there. Even though you let go, 
The pit's still there and the monster's still there, but you're no longer attached. You're no longer being drawn into the pit. And as a result, you are free to choose how to live your life. So, well, sometimes we become attached to people. We become attached to particular place. Sometimes we become attached to places, situations, circumstances in which we find ourselves. We get into a rut. And uh, in our lives, as we look, we find we're kind of, uh, we keep cycling around in our comfort zone. And it's true that life is, in order to make progress, I mean, personal progress in expanding your sense of self, raising your consciousness, you have to risk, you have to take risks. And you have to go out towards the edge of your, push the, push the edge of the envelope. And as they say, you know, it's like a tree. That's where the fruit is. Sometimes you've got to go out on a limb. You've got to go out on a limb to get the fruit. Take a risk, right? Because that, that's where the fruit is. And so in order to grow and expand, we need to play around the boundaries of our self-sense. But see, that's very uncomfortable for us. We'd rather remain in our comfort zone. That's where we're focused. That's where we're secure. And we're attached to those circumstances, those limiting, maybe very limiting circumstances and situation. I remember I've spoken before of an incident, totally ridiculous, trivial incident, that I remember when I was living in our monastery in Olima, San Francisco, and uh, I had a, in the monastery, we lived in a barn, and there the monastery was in a barn, and uh, there was a mezzanine there and some small rooms, but I remember I had a, I had a desk next to the shrine. There was a little anteroom next to the shrine, and that was my little cubbyhole. That was my desk. I had a little bookcase there. I'd go there every morning. I'd sit there, and I'd do my studies. The water would seep up through the concrete floor. It was cold. The windows, there was, the wind, there was a door there. It was all kind of glass. The, the heating wasn't very good. But somehow I became accustomed to that. That's where I, when I first started there. And I knew the routine. And uh, then the time came, I had an opportunity to move. We finished the construction of the Shafter House, which is a beautiful colonial mansion which is right across the road from the monastery. And there were some rooms in the back. I said, well, I can move into one of those rooms. Private room. I thought, no, I can't leave here. I don't want to leave this little area, you know. And I remember that I agonized over that for days and days, weighing in the, in the balance. These two, that room, are just sitting here, you know, weighing. This became kind of an emotional issue. Finally, I... Just moved over there, and within a, within one day, I was stunned and amazed. I came back and thought, "Wow, it's like there's a difference between heaven and hell." And yet, I saw how I was so attached to that small little area. So it took an effort, and it was an emotional uh, hurdle that I had to overcome. And it was all about attachment. So sometimes we find ourselves attached, attached to people attached to places, 
attached to our own body, our own belief system, uh, certainly attached to material things. And um, it requires a lot of effort to maintain our stuff and all our material things. They, it, it has, these things have to be, they have to be kept. They have to be, it requires time and effort in order for us to maintain our stuff. And it consumes our attention and our energy unconsciously. And so our minds and our attention, now this is kind of like in Raja Yoga, you discover when you do meditation that you're, you're meditating. I mean, the reason why you have, you're 100% of your focus of your attention is not available to you. Why? Because it's locked up in your own element, aspects of your psyche, of things which, to which you are attached. And when you remove those attachments, you free your interest, that means your attention, now you can focus it somewhere else. You see, for example, you watch children playing in a, on a playground. And they play and they just go, I mean, they just like go berserk. And they, just, they just play with wild abandon. Why? Because they have, they have nothing to lose. They don't have much, they don't have worries. They don't have any bills to pay. They're not worried about their persona and all their investment. They don't have to be careful. And so they play with great freedom and great abandon. Adults can't do that. We're inhibited. We're kind of suppressed. We're repressed. And a lot of that is because our psyche is invested in hidden parts of ourselves to which we are attached. Once there was a, a woman who went to visit her friend, a weaver. I'm going to tell you a parable of Ramakrishna. And when she entered into the weaver's shop, there she saw she was spinning thread and yarn, and she had all these colored, so she's spinning some silk thread, and all on the wall, there were all these colored yarns. And the weaver, when she saw her friend come in the shop, oh, she was so happy. Welcome. Yes, I'm so happy. Let's, uh, glad to see you. Let me just go and make some tea for us. So she went into a back room just for a moment, left the friend alone in the shop, and the friend looked around, and she saw those bright colored yarns. She reached over, she took a ball of yarn, she put it under her arm. She held her arm close to her side. Meanwhile, a weaver friend came out with the, carrying the tea. She set down the tea, and of course, immediately she noticed that one of the balls of yarn was gone. She knew what had happened. And so she thought of a plan. She said, friend, I'm so glad to see you. She says, in fact, I'm so happy, I want to dance. Let's put on a little music. So she put on a little music of Hare Krishna. She said, let's, let's begin to, let's dance together as two friends. I'm so happy. And she began to dance, you know, raising her arms in the air. And the other friend said, yes, I, we're happy. She, she just like this, you know, she held one arm. She also, and the, and the weaver said, come on, come on. Why don't you dance with both hands upraised? And the friend, she said, well, no, that's all right. She was embarrassed. This is all I know of dancing. She couldn't, was not free 
to, that's why Sri Ramakrishna says, I dance with both hands upraised. Don't have any attachments. You're free to be who you really are. So sometimes we just become attached to, attached to, in that instance, kind of attached to our persona. We're talking about people, places, and things. You know, I, when I think about this subject, I always remember a, this is, this is many years ago, there was a stage play in New York City, in Greenwich Village. It was entitled The, um, the Dazzle by a playwright. His name was Richard Greenberg. And it was, a, it was based on a true story of the Collier brothers in New York City. And um, that came out in the, in, the, in the newspapers in New York. Two brothers. One of them suffered from a kind of a mental illness of an obsessive attachment to material things. He was a compulsive hoarder. And the other brother gave up doing what he wanted to do in life in order to take care of the first brother because he needed constant supervision and care because he was so disabled by his compulsive attachment and hoarding of things. And uh, time passed and the one brother died and the second brother moved away. And it came out in the newspapers how the police and the authorities entered into their building and they hauled out about 80 tons of junk. And there's pictures there of all this stuff that had been accumulated through year after years after years. And when you see that, well, as you know, that sometimes within us, if we look at something like that, there's something within us somehow we can a little bit identify Something within, maybe within ourselves, maybe we're not that bad, but maybe we do have something within ourselves where we can begin to a little identify with the Collier brothers. And uh, the fact is, is that objects, that is material things, begin to accumulate in our lives. And they begin to clutter our lives. And each one is like a sponge, like Sri Shankaracharya says, material objects are like sponges. That is, they, they, all, they draw your consciousness into them. And everything that you own has become part now, you're attached to it because it's now part of your self-sense. You don't want to depart from it because it's part of yourself. You love it. That's because you love yourself. Because, everything, because anything that's connected with yourself, you're attached to it. And it draws your attention. And pretty soon you, you can't concentrate anymore. And when you think about getting rid of it, you have a whole list of very good reasons why you shouldn't. That, that's why that, this, is, this attachment is a slippery slope. It's a logical slippery slope. Because we have good reason for all the stuff that we've got. Once upon a time, there was a guru who initiated a disciple into sannyas. And uh, the ceremony took place on the banks of the river Ganges. And after being initiated by the guru, the disciple was instructed to stay here for a while and do sadhana. There's a small little hut here. You can live in the hut. 
During the day, you can go out and beg from door to door, your little get a meal, bathe in the river Ganges. And during the day, spend your day doing worship and japa and meditation. And so saying, the guru went on his way. And the new sannyasin, who'd renounced the world, freed from everything in the world. Well, he did have, he had two possessions. He had two loincloths. He had to wear something because he'd go into town. So he had these two loincloths. One of loincloth he would wear, and the other loincloth, after he'd washed it, he'd put it on the bush there, bushes, to dry during the day. So in his, his routine was, he'd get up in the morning, he'd bathe there in the river Ganges, he'd watch his extra loincloth, he'd put that on the bush. Then he would go into town, he would beg, beg humbly from door to door, or maybe he'd get a little rice, he'd get a little uh, vegetable. He would come back, and he would offer that, and he would do his meditation. Well, one day he came back, and he looked there on the bush, and he saw his, his second loincloth had been eaten by rats. It was all just tattered tattered what, what to do. So the next day, he, uh, when he went into town, he had to ask, as he was begging from door to door, can you spare a little piece of cloth? I need an extra cloth. Well, finally, in one house, he got a cloth, came back, washed that, put that on the bush. Next day, when he went, he came back, same thing had happened. Rats had nibbled away at the cloth, and so again he asked the householders, can you please give me, in addition to the food, a little bit of cloth? Well, a couple days later, they said, look, we can't do this. You need to get a cat. Get rid of those mice. And so he did that. He got a nice little kitten, and uh, sure enough, the cat uh, frightened away the, the, mi the mice. Problem solved. Except that, except that uh, well, he, his meditation was bothered a little bit because the cat would meow and meow because he wanted milk. And so he found that uh, the next day he started making his rounds of begging. He had to ask in addition for his little rice. He said, could you give me just a little bit of milk for the cat? Yeah, this a couple days passed. Give me a little milk. Give me a householder's fee. And I, what is this? He said, well, you, you need to, we can't give you this every day. Why don't you get a cow? Sacred cows wandering around, why don't you just get one and take the milk there? So he found a, a cow, kept her tethered near the hut, took the milk and fed it to the cat, and the cat scared away the mouse, and everything was fine. Except the cow, where I needed uh, some little something, grazed around in the grass, the grass was gone, the cow needed some hay. And so the sadhu, in the course of his wandering, because he went to the house to house, he asked, can you, do you have a little extra hay given to my cow? And this went on, a couple of day after day, getting this, look, we can't keep supplying you with hay. Why don't you, right there, you, next to your hut, there's a field. Why don't you cultivate that field? Grow a little hay for your, for your cow. So he came back and he started thinking about it. That's a good idea. And uh, he borrowed some tools and borrowed some seeds and he planted that field. And uh, he got some men to help him. And the men, they cultivated the field. And sure enough, they grew some hay, sold the hay, and he kept those men on. By this time, his little hut had become too small because the men were there living. He needed to kind of expand that. They added a few rooms and uh, they built another 
small barn to keep that hay, which he fed to the cow, milked the cow, fed the cats. By this time, the house had become a problem, you see. He needed a wife <laughs> to help him take care of this household. And uh, pretty soon, he was uh, a very busy householder. And one day, well, time passed, and about a year later, the guru came in the course of his travels, came back to that same place. He's going to visit his disciple, the great sannyasin. He left there by the side of the river Ganges one year before, <laughs> came there to the same place. Couldn't see, didn't see anything there. So there's a big house there. There's some fields. And he asked the passers-by, do you remember a man used to live here? Oh, yeah, sure. He lives over there in that big house. And so the guru said, what? He said, how is that? He said, he walked, goes over the house, he knocked on the door, and the door opens, and there is the disciple. And the disciple looks at his guru, and then he recalls all that's happened, everything that's happened. He was so embarrassed. And the guru looked at him, he says, what has happened to you? And the disciple fell at his feet, said, oh, revered sir, it was all for the sake of a loincloth. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, it was a very logical, reasonable, everything was very reasonable. Nothing crazy or illogical about it. But gradually, he became attached. And one thing leads to another. And once you're attached to your stuff, or to people, places, or things, or to your flesh and blood body, or to, well, yogis go farther than that, of course, they keep, they keep, they keep uh, raising the stakes. So even if you're not attached to your family, to your friends, to your, to, to your, to your house, to the people, places, or things, you're still attached to your body. And even if you're not attached to your body, well, you're attached to your mind, you're attached to your feelings, to your thoughts. And the challenge is to keep detaching oneself until you can regain your true self. So the, the method here is very simple. We're attached to detach, and then it's true, maybe we will find ourselves, uh, uh, we identify, then we differentiate, then we transcend, but then we include that thing within a larger whole, and now we're attached to the larger whole, then we, then we differentiate from that, we transcend, now we're differentiating from a larger whole, like that you're progressing, but you're making progress. And the secret here is just what is it? It's attachment. And uh, see, attachment is, is very, the power of attachment is, is important to us. Swami Vivekananda says in the Karma Yoga, he says, that man alone will be able to get the best out of life. Who? Having the power to attach himself fully to the work at hand, also reserves to himself the power to detach when he should do so. That's the two sides of the coin. You've got to have the power to attach, that yogis mean there, the power to put your attention on something. The power to fully concentrate and focus on whatever, people, places, things, yourself, your, whatever your occupation is. But reserving to yourself also the power to detach when you should do so. And uh, this is the 
process of attachment and of detachment. Just letting go. That was my title. Well, that's a simple 12-step mantra, letting go. But um, that's basically the teaching. Once upon a time, there was a monkey who lived in the jungle. And uh, he would spend his days, he was totally free. He'd swing through the, through the branches, you know, and climb to the tops of the trees. And, but in that jungle, the, the, through the jungle, there ran a path. And the um, path led to a small village. And along that path, uh, the villagers and tradesmen would, would come by. And one day, uh, there fell from a tradesman's cart a grated window, so a barred window frame. It fell from his cart. And there it lay by the side of the road. And this monkey, swinging up through the trees, he looked down, he saw this shiny thing down there on the, on the, by the side of the road. He swung down, and there it was. What is this? He picked up this window, he held it up to him like this, looked through the bars, began to think, oh my God, so I'm, I'm in prison. I'm, in, I'm trapped. He screeched, he began to screech and cry. I'm trapped. Somebody, please help me. And uh, like this, the monkey screeching and screeching while a carpenter came by that way, heard him crying, help, help, I'm trapped in here. And the carpenter, well, okay, he reached in his toolbox, brought out a hacksaw, gave him a little hacksaw blade. And the monkey still clinging to that window. He took that, he tried to cut those bars. Hacksaw didn't work very well. And uh, he was still trapped. And so like this, he screeched and he screeched, help me, somebody help me. And a saint, a yogi came, came by that way, heard him crying, help me, help me, I'm trapped. The saint said, well, pray to God. Maybe God will answer your prayers. So the uh, monkey closed his eye, he prayed and he prayed. But when he opened his eyes, he looked through, still trapped, in the, still in prison, still behind those bars. And so he began to screech again. And a sage, a wise man, came by that way. He heard his cries. And he says, you have to change your way of thinking. Think you're free. If you think you're free, then free you will become. Think you're bound, bound you remain. So you change your thoughts. And the monkey is holding there, looking through those bars. And he's trying to think, I'm free, I'm free. But he opened his eyes. He's still there behind the bars. And so he began to screech and to screech. And a yogi came by that way great path of meditation. And so he advised him, he said, well, you need to learn to meditate. Why don't you meditate? I go within yourself, meditate on yourself. You're within, you're without, you are with every, you're in everything. You're not just inside behind these bars. And so the, the, the monkey began to meditate like this, thinking of himself as one with everything. But when he opened his eyes, he's still trapped. He's still behind those bars. And what to do? And then a boy came by that way. He heard that screeching, help, help, said the monkey. What? I'm trapped here. And the boy looked at him and says, what do, you, what do you mean? What are you doing? He said, why are you behind those bars? Why don't you let go of that window frame? And the monkey he said, let go, let go. Okay. And he opened his little monkey hands. <laughs> the, the barred window fell to the ground. And, oh, he was free. He was liberated. And he began to laugh and jumped away, and jumped up into the trees, swung through the trees, climbed up to the tops of the trees. He was free. And he never again did he become attached to any of those, anything that he saw there lying on the path.
and on the roadway. So that's kind of our lesson this morning. We can see the moral of the story, learning to let go. And uh, the fact is, is that much of our bondage and much of our suffering is simply due to attachment. And not only that, sometimes it's true that we don't need a lot of advanced uh, instruction and a lot of high philosophy and a lot of uh, advanced spiritual practices in order to detach ourselves. Uh, all we need really is a little bit of clear thinking, a little bit of awareness. Awareness is the first step towards our liberating ourselves from our bondage to become aware of our attachment. And that's our problem for the most part. We're so deeply embedded in our condition that we're not, it's not an object of our consciousness. We're not aware of it. Once we become aware of it, we can objectify it, and then we can start to do something about it. And all the different forms of yoga assume that we have that power to some extent that we have the power of introspection, that we have the power to objectify ourselves and our condition, that we're used to doing some self-analysis, and that really it would be very simple for us to make big jumps and steps forward simply by learning to let go. But of course, all the different forms of yoga, in addition to that, they do give us a great help, because in addition to that simple instruction, they paint for us a higher ideal, something that we can aspire to, something that we can look up to, which will make it easier for us to detach from the world. The city of Calcutta is famous for its pickpockets. There were schools of pickpocketing back in the days of Rudyard Kipling. And on one occasion, a, a married couple of pickpockets had a baby. And the baby was born, and it was such a cute and beautiful baby. Everybody loved the baby, looked it all over, and perfectly formed in every way, except its little hand. His hand was like this. Couldn't figure out, what is this? They tried to, what's, what's that? Wouldn't, the hand wouldn't move. They thought, what is this? Is this some malfunction? Is this some uh, deformity or something? They took him to a doctor, and the doctor examined the hand. No, everything seems to be fine, but couldn't do anything. Took it to another specialist. What can we do? Nothing. Couldn't do anything about it. Hand held like this. Then they got some good advice. To go and see another doctor. And this doctor was a student of hypnotism. So this doctor, they went in, they laid, the doctor looked at him, little baby there, and said, yeah, maybe I can help you. And he pulled out of his pocket, he pulled a golden watch, a watch on a chain. He goes up to the little baby, swings the watch back and forth. Back, a little baby looking like this, watch going back, back and forth. Slowly his little hand opens up like this. He grabs for, he grabs for the watch. And out of his little baby hand there falls a ring. It's the ring of the midwife who had brought him into the world. <laughs> Little pickpocket, you see. But he saw that, he saw that. He had a higher ideal. He was willing to let go of that. No problem, let go of that 
ring to grab for that golden watch. And so it is with the practice of yoga. We set for ourselves a higher ideal. It enables us to facilitate our progress, to differentiate and to detach from the things of the world, to differentiate and detach ourselves from our body, from our minds, from our thoughts, from our feelings, and to identify with our true self. Om Dyo Shanti Antariksha Ham Shanti Prithivi Shanti Apa Shanti O Shadaya Shanti Vanaspataya Shanti Vishwe Deva Shanti Brahma Shanti Saravam Shanti Shantireva Shantihi Same Shantiredhi Om Shantihi 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 Om peace is on the earth, peace is in the sky, it's on the earth and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal, universal peace enter our souls and beings. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.